Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling by interviewing some of the top movers and shakers and disruptors who are impacting our great industry. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Ryan Bell. Now, before we get started, though, I want to remind everyone uh, that the Metal Roofing Summit is coming up April 25th through 27th in convenient Dayton, Ohio. I keep saying convenient Dayton, Ohio, because it is a very convenient airport. Um, but this is a annual conference that is held at the beautiful University of Dayton Marriott. We've got some great speakers lined up like Frank Farmer and Megan Beatty and David Yoho, um, but just a great time. If you are in the home improvement or roofing space, um, this is a great opportunity to hear from some great speakers and also to connect and rub elbows, as they say, with some other uh, great leaders from our industry. So check it out at metalroofingsummit.com. Hope you will join us. Um, so we're going to start something a little different in this show that I think we might do on an ongoing basis, um, at least when we have something to share, and talk a little bit about maybe some products or services that we have found in our lives um, that are fairly new, and, and we found them to be game changers, found them to be disruptive, as we say. Um, and so I want to start out today by talking about one that I had shared with Ryan. Um, so my wife, she and I, I mean, here we are, late 50s. We always struggle with what to get each other for birthdays and things. So sometimes we just literally go to Amazon and buy what seems hot or what other people are buying. And so one of the things she bought me for my birthday last year was this little thing called Peeps. And no, it's not the marshmallow candy that's about to come out here at Easter time, but um, Peeps are eyeglass cleaners. And really revolutionary. I think they're on Shark Tank, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it looks like a pair of plastic tweezers. And you take and you put them over your eyeglasses and rub them back and forth. And I have to tell you, these things were game changer for me. Um, I, I don't know how they do what they do, but they not only make your eyeglasses incredibly clean, I even find that my eyeglasses stay cleaner longer. Um, it's almost like they become sort of, you know, have this surface that repels dirt. So um, I got a pair of these for uh, someone else for his birthday, and he was pretty smitten by them also. And the other day I was telling Ryan about them a few weeks ago. So Ryan, what has your experience been with Peeps? Um, game changing for sure. I am OCD when it comes to having stuff on my glasses and it drives me nuts and oh ryan you're ocd about more than that but yes, i'll let you get by the glasses the, yes you're right <laughs> the glasses is just one thing um but it's a it's a constant battle and you know my wife wears glasses too and we have those cleaning cloths all over our, our house and they never quite do the job no. and you know i probably clean my glasses out. oh gosh who knows how many times a day and drives me nuts. But when you told me about these, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting some right away. And finally had them in my Amazon cart for a few weeks or a week maybe before I or actually ordered them. But 
they came in last week or was it earlier this week maybe i don't remember but they've been game changers for sure i don't i'm baffled by them too i don't know how they work but pretty incredible do you find the same thing though that you know they not only do a great job of cleaning your glasses and you see better than you've ever seen um do you also find that your eyeglasses stay cleaner longer somewhat um i i get a lot of uh we have we have kind of a big puppy um and she is the one that gets my glasses dirty with her wet nose a lot <laughs> hit, hitting me in the face but so i don't know that i can i can attest to how long they keep my glasses clean but they work wonders and we should probably mention too this is not like a paid sponsorship or anything it's just no. a been a life-changing product if you're someone that wears glasses it's well worth it yep they're peeps p-e-e-p-s they're on amazon for what 30 bucks something like that Yep, they're they're not inexpensive, but they're not uh, not going to break the bank too bad either. But uh, now, I, what I found too is, you know, I, I used to have to, I, I would typically just clean my eyeglasses once a day, but now sometimes I'll find, oh, I forgot to do them today, and they're really not that bad yet. So pretty weird. Okay, on with the show, as they say. Um, so today's guest here on construction disruption is Greg Hart. Greg is president of the Boston-based. PSMJ Resources. Uh, now, PSMJ is a firm dedicated to improving the business performance of architecture, engineering, and construction organizations worldwide. Uh, Greg has been with PSMJ for about 12 years, but before that, he also worked primarily on making businesses better. Um, now, he recently stepped into the lead role at PSMJ, following in the footsteps of company founder Frank Stasiowski. Um, Greg has his bachelor's degree in environmental science from the University of Massachusetts and an MBA in operations management from Syracuse University. Greg, welcome to Construction Disruption. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. I am uh, actively looking up peeps as we as we speak. <laughs> well, you don't have eyeglasses on. <laughs> well, no, my wife's birthday is coming up soon, so there you go. <laughs> they are a game changer. And I don't have a clue how they do what they do. I guess I don't really care, um, yeah. but, they, but they work exceptionally well. So, so it's interesting. I'm, I appreciate having you on the show today. Um, I have known PSMJ, of course, for a number of years um, because your organization co-owns and manages the Metalcon Trade Show, um, co-owning it along with Metal Construction Association, which uh, I've been on the board of and involved with for many, many years. Um, but I know that realistically, that trade show, of course, is a very, very small part of what PSMJ does. And um, when I when I look at PSMJ and think about you guys, though, I, I often think about another business that also is initials only, BASF. You guys <laughs> maybe don't necessarily make any things, but you make things better for the entire industry. So can you kind of give us a quick overview of what PSMJ does? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Over the years, we've added so many different facets to the business that it it can keep be hard to kind of keep it all straight. But uh, it's funny, it didn't come out of any real initial overall strategy to become who we are today. We just kind of followed our customers uh, and it got us to, to do all the stuff we do. So I think the first thing I should probably mention, uh, which almost nobody knows, uh, is that PSMJ actually stands for Professional Services Management Journal, uh, which was the initial product 
and as Todd kind of alluded to, we focus on the entire architecture, engineering, and you know, heavier on the construction side. Uh, a lot of what we do in our publications and our research, so uh, annual salary surveys and financial performance surveys and all sorts of best practice stuff, uh, also involves architects and engineers. Uh, that stemmed out of that professional services management journal, which is a newsletter product that uh, still exists today. Fast forward over the years, we got into training and project management training and business development training. And then to beyond that, uh, into advisory services and consulting. You know, if you had to paint it with one big broad brush, it would be that everything we do is focused on improving the business performance uh, of architecture, engineering, and construction organizations. Uh, we don't get much into the design technical stuff. It's much more focused on the business performance uh, side of AEC. Very interesting. And I know that you guys also run conferences and educational times um, for, for folks from AEC, correct? That's right. Yeah, we have several conferences. Uh, our annual AEC Thrive Conference attracts about 300 uh, CEOs, CFOs, CMO, COO uh, of architecture, engineering, construction organizations. We have a talent uh, acquisition conference. We have a mergers and acquisitions conference. Uh, so that is one part of the business uh, in that in that events and education bucket uh, that brings people together, sharing best practices, sharing what's working, sharing what's not, making connections, networking, uh, connecting with peers, all that sort of stuff. The conferences are a great part of the business. As you've seen with MetalCon, uh, there's nothing like that in-person experience of getting people together uh, and energized about trends and the future and what works and what doesn't. It's a it's an exciting part of the business for sure. Well, I know one of the first times I was ever up at your office is a few years ago. Um, yeah, it, it quickly dawned on me, okay, there's a lot more about PSMJ than just what I knew with MetalCon. But, you know, one of the things that has always struck me with your organization, and, I, and this has to be from Frank's leadership, um, is just the quality of team members that you have there and the quality of people I've worked with at PSMJ um, have just always been off the charts, I felt. So I'm kind of curious, what motivates you and what makes you want to to work for PSMJ? Yeah, it really is that. Uh, you know, we have built a fantastic team and, and we really do hire for talent and energy and skill than we hire for open positions. When we meet somebody who's got a lot of fantastic energy, we find a home for them uh, somewhere in that Swiss Army knife that I explained of all the different things <laughs> that we do. Uh, so that that really is a big part of it, because once we have that great team, uh, the ability we have to really impact these organizations uh, from the smallest of architecture firms to the biggest of multidisciplinary kind of AEC organizations, it really is a lot of fun seeing the impact we have on their success, their growth, uh, and their financial performance. Uh, and our team gets a buzz off of that too. And, and when we have an impact on the organization, on the industry, uh, we really thrive on that. Is even though we've been around for so long, we're still a very entrepreneurial, nimble, and kind of team-focused company. Like you said, even just a few years ago, uh, we still really, really, really try not to get complacent and sleepy and bureaucratic and all, all those things you expect with companies that have been around for a long time, for sure. I, I think sometimes I feel like we still have that running it out of the spare bedroom mentality, even though we've been around for nearly <laughs> 50 years. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You use that word bureaucratic, and and I have to admit, I uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably show a pet peeve, but you know, as I work with so many companies, mainly suppliers on my end of thing, who you know have been taken over by investment groups and and different funds and things, and you know, one of the things I find is their organizations just become so bureaucratic that they do lose sight of the customer. And so there's something different when you've got a a closely held or privately owned organization that doesn't necessarily have all those hoops that have everyone has to jump through and you you can focus on the customer instead. Is that kind of what you find? I mean, do you think that that's also a good hallmark for anyone in the AEC world? It really is, you know, uh, and that's a comment I hear quite a bit uh, when I talk to the customers, the consumers of architecture, engineering, construction services about the firms that they're using, uh, that as they grow, they become much more inwardly focused. Uh, They ain't Mm -hmm. what they used to be. Uh, Change orders, all that kind of stuff becomes much more complicated uh, as as organizations grow. And absolutely, uh, you know, that's a real, real Achilles heel, especially with the consolidation that's happening in the industry. We often ask the question, how big is too big? You know, is there is there is there a cap when you just can't get any bigger? because you've sort of lost the ability to actually be a true architecture, engineering, construction organization. So being entrepreneurial, and there's all sorts of kind of cliches around that, growing big by staying small, that kind of thing, really is key. Uh, If you can grow to be a mega company and still have a soul, (laughs) you're doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. So would you say that M&A activity is one of the major things that sort of impacting the AEC industry right now, or are there other things also having big impacts? Yeah, consolidation probably is one of the biggest, uh, you know, and that's, it's not driven just by that. Look, we're we're in a boom bust industry. There are boom periods, there are bust periods, and there's a little bit of that, but the bigger picture, and this isn't exclusive to AEC, this is pretty much the entire economy, is this bubble of retiring baby boomers that that we've seen coming for years? You know that uh, they started these organizations and built these organizations, and the, the the problem you got is there's just these companies end up with almost like an hourglass org chart by virtue of the fact that there just are a lot fewer Gen Xers than there are baby boomers or millennials. Uh, so it's putting a lot of strain on that traditional internal ownership transition model. And it's leading to consolidation. That's not the only reason there's consolidation. Obviously, there's tech, there's innovation, there's uh, client pressures as well. But I would say if you had to draw one trend that's kind of big right now and going to stay big for a while, uh, it's consolidation. We, You mentioned Frank at the outset. Frank wrote a book in 2009 uh, where he made a, a kind of prediction of what he called the death of the mid-sized firm. And he was talking specifically about in the architecture and engineering space, you either have to be a small, nimble, low overhead niche provider or a big multidisciplinary, multi-service, resource-rich uh, 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 powerhouse. And if you get stuck in the middle, you have neither, you have the worst of both worlds. Uh, and that's, that's, definitely playing out. Uh, and some of that consolidation is a lot of the big, big guys gobbling up those those mid-sized companies that have unfortunately gotten themselves into a little bit of a corner. 
Well, you touched on a couple of interesting things there. You talked about that hourglass shape of the workforce that's out there. Never thought about that before, but you're absolutely spot on. We we still have a pretty big group of baby boomers still hanging on up there at the top. And, you know, then there in the middle, you don't have a whole lot. And then you got your millennials that are a pretty big group at the bottom and uh, very, very interesting. But so, so you talked about that and you talked about some other things that are, are creating challenges. Um, anything else that you're seeing really creating challenges uh, today for AEC firms? Well, the closely related cousin to that issue of consolidation is, a, is an issue of recruiting, of, of finding people to do the work. Uh, and, and, you know, there's definitely, again, because of that hourglass org chart, just fewer graduates um, that, that graduated 10 or 15 years ago uh, into the industry, into the, especially into the engineering and especially into the uh, building systems engineering, uh, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, things like that. Uh, so, you know, but this industry has always had issues with finding enough people to do the work. Uh, and that kind of, I think, plays into the tech, the opportunities with the tech issue a little bit. Um, but that's, 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 you know, there's a whole bunch of different reasons that's the case. Obviously, we lost, uh, especially on the architecture and engineering side, uh, lost some talent. Whenever there's a recession, there's a flight from the industry a little bit. Uh, and in some cases, we lost them to the clients, right? We lost them to real estate developers and owners and things like that. Uh, but at any rate, I mean, there is always going to be a recruiting issue. Uh, but there's some solutions to that that we're starting to see the more forward-thinking firms embrace. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that's that's another factor that's that's bringing the consolidation for sure. I've I've never. This is the in the past two or three years. It's been the first time I've ever seen, at the level I'm seeing, uh, buyers buying companies just to get the talent. Uh, there used to be the old saw that if I'm acquiring a company just to get the talent, because I have more work than we have people do the work, well, there, any firm worth buying is going to have the same problem. So uh, I don't want to buy a company that just has people sitting around with nothing to do, because uh, there's probably a deeper issue than that. That 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 issue's been thrown out the window. Companies are clamoring to find somebody with people sitting around with nothing to do, uh, because they they would argue organic growth is just getting harder and harder and harder. Wow. Well, you you mentioned that there are some folks finding unique solutions to the workforce. Um, is acquisition one of those, or what are some of the other things you're seeing uh, folks doing out there? Yeah, you know, as an incremental solution, acquisition is one for that reason that I just mentioned. But I think when you look at it as a bigger, bigger opportunity, that's where you are starting to see technology and AI play a role. Uh, you know, especially on the architecture and engineering side, it was never a very scalable business. If you wanted to double the revenue, you had to double the number of architects or engineers you had. And they're starting to break away from that. I'm starting to hear conversations now that if we're a 5,000 person engineering firm, engineering construction firm right now, doubling in size doesn't mean we could need to be a 10,000 person firm. And where that's coming in is companies are starting to use AI and machine learning uh, to do some of the more repetitive, uh, the less safe, uh, the more ripe for human error uh, tasks. And the conversation is starting finally uh, in some ways, shifting from who will do the work to what will do the work. And, and that has really picked up in the past 12 or 24 months. 
Well, I definitely want to come back to that AI and machine learning and the impact that you know you you're seeing there and think is going to be there in the future. But one thing I want to touch back on a little bit. So um, a while back, I started following uh, the guys that uh, folks at John Burns Real Estate Consulting uh, quite a bit because they just have some amazing information as far as projecting what's going to be happening in terms of you know what types of buildings are we going to be building over the next 5 years or 10 years and uh we had Eric Finnegan uh from that organization on the show a while back and that was really interesting but um you know one one of the things that gets touched on a lot from our guests is the lack of affordable and livable housing um, and, you know, it seems like that's something that's definitely going to be driving AEC going forward. But um, what do you see as some of the big opportunities? I mean, what what are the things that firms now should be thinking, OK, we need to position ourselves to be stronger in this niche, you know, in the future? Um, what, what are some of those areas? Uh, right now, it's 100 percent infrastructure. Uh, anything government infrastructure is just on fire and specifically, you know, transportation, water, wastewater, uh, things like that, that obviously there's a ton, I mean, unprecedented, uh, levels of government, uh, investment and stimulus in that and coming from a few different places. And that's going to come out over many, many years. Right. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, we're woefully behind on a lot of infrastructure work and that faucet is starting to open up and will continue to open up for the next decade plus. Uh, I don't disagree with the affordable housing piece. I think that's absolutely true that that this, this when we're talking specifically about the U.S. economy, has been kind of underhoused uh, for many years. And, and we have an affordability crisis that's only getting more exacerbated uh, as time goes by. But the interesting thing we're starting to see in the market data that we track specifically on kind of upstream proposal activity data. So now we're talking, okay, work that's going to that's gonna go into construction over the next 12, 24, 36 months. It is all infrastructure. Uh, of course, the, the, comp- the uh, client markets that are highly dependent on speculative uh, work, uh, which is being hit kind of hard by that, that interest rate wrecking ball, the Fed keeps swinging. Uh, are cooling rapidly. What we're seeing is projects that are going into initial design and then stop and pause uh, because of the uncertain economic environment we're seeing there. Uh, and affordable housing is, is tricky because there's a lot of different moving parts to make those projects work. But government infrastructure for firms that can pivot into it, uh, you know, for, for companies that have a, 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 an ability to, to make opportunities there, it is just so hot that I think the only bottleneck is going to be the ability of AEC organizations to do the work. Uh, I think that's that's going to be the only constraint. And I, I mean that largely getting back to that talent issue that we talked about. Uh, if we look around the industry, particularly on the design side, on the architecture and engineering side, that they're already maxed out uh, with the work they've got, then it's going to be hard to to push those projects through the system as fast as maybe the government and others would like to see. But yeah, infrastructure has a lot of opportunity for sure. Are are there any, what I want to say, um, geographic, I mean, particular areas of the country where the infrastructure seems to be really going to be the hot thing? I mean, has it hit the coast first and going to go more inland? Or do you have any ideas on that? Yeah, so that's where it does 
depend on a few different factors. Obviously, the really population-dense areas are seeing the most sure. opportunity for that. Some of this plays into the state uh, uh, political environments as well. Um, that is, some are going to be, you know, have more opportunity to access that than others. But absolutely, you know, airports, highways, those major infrastructure areas. Uh, I mean, there are some, you know, rural internet and things like that. But I think the real big mega projects that you're going to see are in the mega cities, the the, the large scale urban areas. There's still, you know, you look at any of those real estate trend kind of charts and you see the net migration towards kind of the Sunbelt area and places like that. And that will continue to be the case, I think. But uh, nobody is immune from some of the investment that's going to happen here, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that it's uh, it's going to happen across the board, um, even in the smallest municipalities with some of the water, wastewater, cybersecurity uh, and things like that. So it's... Uh, it's going to be everywhere, but certainly the major metro areas uh, are going to see the, the, the brunt or the bulk of it. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So you work with a lot of different firms and familiar with a lot of different firms across the country. I'm just kind of curious, as you look at sort of big picture, what really sets apart the top performing, the high performance AEC firms um, versus the so-so ones? You know, it's funny, especially on the professional services side of architecture and engineering, there's always been this, what I would call a commoditization pressure. In fact, there have been so many cases where the realtor who sells the building ends up making more money than the architect who designed it. And that's nobody's fault but the architect, you know, that, uh, but not the architect individually, it's more the architecture as a profession. Uh, And that ties back to really selling the value and not just the time. Uh, I think architects and engineers especially uh, have always had a, have been unable to kind of convey and sell and articulate the value that they bring to a project. So one of the things that I notice time and time again is that the firms that are really, and this is across AEC, this is, this is, this is wherever you look, the companies that are really able to sell and deliver value uh, versus input plus a profit, <laughs> uh, are, are going to always outperform uh, the ones who are just selling time or materials or time and materials or whatever the case may be. Uh, that has to be the one big thing that's consistent time and time again. But also, too, that means that they're getting into markets uh, that, that allow them to command that value. Look, what I just spent a few minutes talking about how great the infrastructure space is for the opportunity. It's also one of the hardest places to convey value to sell on value versus uh, time and materials. Uh, in fact, there's you know straight up regulations that that that, that uh, prevent some of that. So you got to look at what markets you're in. Uh, if you're in some of those permitting, and we have plenty of companies we look at that are working on the land development side when that market's hot. Uh, time is time is money and uh the faster you can move and the easier you make it the higher value you bring and the more fees you'll be able to command so uh and that starts with not just selling architecture engineering construction that starts with selling the solution the value that you're delivering has to be the number one uh every single time makes a lot of sense uh we, there's an architect on the west coast a guy by the name of evan troxel and evan was one of our early guests here on the show, actually. And um, he was kind of ranting, I'll, I'll use that word loosely, <laughs> on LinkedIn the other day, just about, you know, how many um, 
architects just kind of play it safe and and just kind of look at themselves as well i've got a job here and time and material and you know and that, so they're not really pushing the envelope and um, he was encouraging everyone to be a little bit more forward thinking in terms of pushing the envelope bringing more value and i had commented to him i said yeah it's almost like we all just want to be on the the humdrum pathway to mediocrity so uh, <laughs> i may use that line more in the future i don't know yeah you know whenever we ask the question when i'm speaking at a conference or something like that uh how many folks have raised their fees in the past 12 months and mm -hmm. you get a show of hands and there's usually a pretty good show of hands and you ask okay how many regret doing that and you almost never get a hand up no uh, one, yeah. you know i think that there's a lot more opportunity and in fact it's a lot more opportunity to get involved in more strategic projects and and ditch some of those that work that is just kind of lower margin higher maintenance all that kind of stuff so for sure that's a that's a chronic issue in the industry good stuff well Good reminders for all of us, I think. So uh, whenever you look at any industry, you know, the movers and shakers, the ones disrupting, the ones pushing ahead are, are always the ones you remember <laughs> for the most That's part. Right. Sometimes you remember for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. That's right. That's right. You always remember them. So what do you see as some of the major disruptors in the AEC field right now? Yeah, you know, it's... It's funny, just like with that bubble of retiring baby boomers, which we've been predicting and not even predicting, we just did math and you see it coming. Um, tech and AI, uh, you know, we've been we've been talking about for the past 10 years or so that there will come a point. Will we no longer need architects? You know, will we no longer need engineers? You know, and and I don't think we ever get to that point in our lifetimes, but quickly as we've all seen with chat gpt and all that kind of stuff in the past few months uh the ability for companies to leverage tech is 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 amazing and and really can lead to higher profits uh and solve some of those issues one good example a company we spoke with uh that does a lot of municipal work and some of that work is scanning uh city roads for potholes and recognizing where road repairs are needed um historically that's been a very manual process where you have two or three people uh going around uh in a truck human human error all over the place here in terms of looking for potholes and then getting out to measure them and all sorts of subjectivity and mistakes that can happen there plus it's just really labor intensive and several firms are now moving into technology where it's simply a smartphone mounted on the dashboard of a truck that's scanning the road ahead and not only spotting the pothole deficiencies or the pavement uh, issues, it's measuring them as well. So now you have not only fewer human resources required, but much faster, much more accurate uh, than, uh, than, than was ever done before. Uh, and that gets back to this value piece, you know, that I, I in one of the discussions I had with the fellow at one of the big engineering construction uh, firms was talking about how they're using machine learning for for other cases like that. Um, and a question came in that if you're doing this stuff and it's only taking, you know, one engineer and they're doing it half the time, then aren't you, how are you making more money? It seems like now, now you're cutting your revenue. And, and his response was exactly what you and I just talked about, that you got to sell the value and not the time. And the reality is that every, in, in a lot of these cases, especially on the uh, private sector projects, 
every day that this project is late, it's another $100,000, $500,000. And the client doesn't care how many hours it takes. They care how quickly they're going to get the solution. Uh, so in that case, they're actually able to command a higher value uh, than, than, than what they would have been able to do before. So it's kind of rethinking the business model, but uh, and we're just at the, the, the leading edge of it, too. Right. You know, I mean, it, even even two or three years from now, uh, we're going to see a lot of a lot of evolution, uh, which is going to introduce a lot of questions. I mean, like I said, it can it can alleviate some of the human error piece. Does it does it does it stifle the creativity? Uh, what does it mean for liability? What does it mean for ethics and all those other questions that we've got to we've got to unpack and figure out? But the organizations that embrace AI are oh, here's the way I look at it: AI isn't going to replace architects or engineers or constructors anytime soon. But companies that are leveraging AI are going to replace the companies that aren't, uh, you know, that are that are ignoring it or, or thinking it's only for the big companies and all that stuff. Wise words. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Well, what what about PSMJ? What do you think the future holds for you folks? Any any exciting things coming up or things happening? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like I said at the outset, one of the things that makes us uh, really really a fun place to work is we're always going to where our customers want us to go. Mm-hmm. And when we see some of this consolidation that's happening. That's what prompts us to develop a merger and acquisition conference or, you know, that that kind of stuff. So uh, I think now more than ever, the industry is looking to us to help them navigate this change that's happening with consolidation and private equity and technology and AI and and globalization. And obviously, there are issues with material costs that are in, in onshoring of production and manufacturing and there's just a lot of change happening right now. So now mm-hmm. more than ever, we're in a position uh, through everything that we do, I think, to help companies find out what's working and what's not uh, in that and, and leave them here. So we'll continue to, whether it's a, a conference or a best practice or a trade show or whatever it is, we're going to continue to kind of help wherever we can. We, we've we never been ever about you know growing to a certain number or getting to a certain size. It's just as long as there's organizations out there that need our help, we'll continue to, to do what we do and to go where they need us to go. Well, I love that. And it certainly serves you well, that idea of responding to the, uh, you know, to where the industry is going and what your clients and your folks need. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Well, we know that many of our audience members here at Construction Disruption are folks who are just kind of young, getting started out in their careers. Um, related to design or construction or engineering. Um, any advice you'd have to someone getting started in this industry that may help guide them to a successful career? The biggest thing is, uh, I think, kind of uh, across the board to be a bit of a sponge, uh, you know, and, and, and get exposure to all different parts of the, of the business and not just the design piece. I think that's one of the biggest frustrations I hear from C-level executives in looking for that next generation of owners and leaders is they feel like they don't have the financial business development, you know, whatever the case is with non-technical skills. Um, and to be sure, of course, you know, to some extent that falls li- fault lies on the C, uh, C-level executives to provide that kind of training. 
Uh, but also the individuals that seek out that sort of training and learning uh, will outperform the others. Uh, you know, so any opportunity to learn about the business. And the good thing is it's never been easier to learn about the business with podcasts like yours. And there's all sorts of blogs and social media accounts and uh, YouTube videos. And there's never been more places you can go to learn about these sort of not even softer skills, just the business skills of architecture, engineering, construction. Uh, do that, you know, uh, really, if, if you really want to have an opportunity to grow, you will always be more valuable uh, than the individuals who don't have that, don't have that skill set. Love it. Well, this has been great. Um, you know, we're, we're here at a point where we're close to wrapping up what we call the business end of things. And this has been a real pleasure and, and a joy to have you. Is there anything we haven't covered yet that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I don't think so. I think that one other thing that I would mention is uh, because of the consolidation, we are seeing private equity uh, really reshape the the industry as well, which they really wouldn't touch this industry five or 10 years ago. Um, and, and you know, there were really some, some horror stories uh, where it went really, really bad and there was a lot of money lost. But uh, there could come a time in the next five or 10 or 20 years where the employee-owned AEC firm is the exception rather than the norm. And uh, there's much more private equity ownership. And we have just never seen... It, it almost seems like every day, Todd, I, I'm hearing a email or getting a call or something from private equity orders I'd never even heard of. <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're just kind of popping up everywhere. So I think private equity and tech are two things you got to watch in this space because they will uh, upend it um, potentially over the next. Even I mean, I know five years doesn't sound like a long time, but I think a lot's going to happen in the next five years. Speed of change keeps getting faster. And you're right. Those are the thundering footsteps. And, you know, they are going to continue to be here and, and with us and are going to shape the future. And, uh, yeah, like any time you go through change, there's going to be a few aches and pains along the way and a little bit of grimacing. But yeah. um, I, I think ultimately it, it all just keeps advancing, hopefully, to a better better place. So that's good. I think so. Well, this has been fantastic, Greg. Thank you. So I, I have to ask you before we close out, if you're willing to participate in something we call our rapid fire questions. So these are seven questions. Some may be silly. Some may be serious. All you got to do is give a quick answer. And our audience has to understand Greg has no idea what we're going to ask. <laughs> so. All right. Here we you, go. Are you up to the challenge. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Well, Ryan and I will alternate. Ryan, you want to ask the first question? Sure. But before I do so, I have a transitional question that's kind of, it's not really a rapid fire question. Um, but all this talk about architecture and you being in Boston, I have to ask, have you been to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum there? You know, I haven't, but I really want to. Um, I did watch the Netflix documentary on the heist. Uh, okay. I forget what the name of it was, but um, my wife and son went last year, and I hear it's amazing, but I really would like to go there. Okay, so we we just started the documentary last night and have only made it through one episode, but man, the architecture of that place, I'm like, I want to I go there, um, even after just seeing one episode. 
Yeah, especially in the middle is that courtyard area that, yeah. is just from what I hear, is, is beautiful. And even just seeing the spots where the paintings are missing. and the Yeah, the, yeah. It, it looks so bland from the outside, and that's how it was designed. Uh, yeah. But yeah, completely incredible. And the uh, documentary is called Watch This Robbery, The World's Biggest Art Heist on Netflix, if anybody wants to check it out. But sorry, I was just thinking about that no. all the time you were talking. That that's my contribution to this episode is <laughs> mentioning <laughs> and a big art art theft. All right, so on to the rapid fire questions. If you find yourself in a zombie apocalypse, what one person do you want to be certain to have on your team? Oh my God, one person! I think the one person I would want on my team whether you like him or not, would be Jeff Bezos, because it seems like he's uh, he's got lots of money and lots of access to a lot of people. <laughs> so I think that's who I would choose. Solid choice there. Question number two, what is your favorite pizza topping? My favorite pizza topping is meatball and onion. Toppings, I guess, plural there. So if I had to choose one, I would choose the meatball, but you got to have the onion on there as well. Good answer. Okay. Question number three, what is a product you have bought or used recently that really changed or disrupted your life? You know, it's um, not related to work at all, but I think that's the best part about this, uh, is I bought a new pair of snowshoes uh, living here in New England. Uh, these MSR Lightning snowshoes to have a little a heel lift, they're called. So it's a little metal bar that pops up on the back. So when you're going up a mountain, it, your foot isn't isn't uh, as inclined. These MSR Lightning Ascent uh, snowshoes, which have just been a game changer this winter. Do you climb a lot of mountains? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Do you climb a lot of mountains? So, so here's the thing: when when you live up here in New England, it, it, it's a long, long winter if you're not doing fun stuff. Uh, so we have the in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, so about two hours north of Boston, where I am. Uh, we have these, the four, there's 48, 4,000 footer mountains, which 4,000 doesn't sound like that high compared to say Colorado with the 14,000 footers, but, uh, uh, certainly some of the world's worst weather, obviously Mount Washington being one of the 4,000 footers. Uh, and it's just, it, it, it's an experience in the winter that, uh, is unlike anything else. You know, it's, it, in the right conditions with that bluebird sky and the fresh white powdery snow when you're up there and there's no wind. Uh, they're just, a just, it's an amazing experience. So I've done 32, I think of the 48, 4,000 footers. So my hope would be, wow. I turned 48 September 10th of this year. So I want to get all 48 done by September 10th, uh, of this year. So we'll see that the bar has been set. Good for you. Yeah. Very neat goal. Very good. Well, the next question, what would now, I don't think you just answered this, but what would you say is the most out-of-character thing you have ever done? The most out-of-character thing I've ever done was I've run one ultramarathon, and I'm not sure I'll ever run a second one. It was a 50K, 31-mile <laughs> race uh, in 20—it was actually November of 2019, right before we started the, a few months before everything shut down. And it seems like a— obviously because so much has changed outside of that. It seems like it was a world away. Uh, but I never, ever, ever would have thought myself 10 years ago being able to do that. Um, but it was it was fun. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have another one in me, but it was fun. What bucket list vacation do you have? Bucket list vacation, uh, I think, is probably one that we're doing in a few weeks or in about a month. 
uh, going to Barcelona. Uh, I've never been to Spain, and uh, we're going to go spend a week there uh, in mid-April, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's funny, the only other time I've been in a country that doesn't speak English uh, was when I went to France with my wife, but she lived there for a while, so she spoke French. She doesn't speak Spanish. I took Spanish in high school, uh, so hola, me llamo Gregorio, but that's about it. Uh, so uh, that'll be... And actually, Barcelona, is a, it's not really Spanish. They have another language they speak there that's a slight variation of Spanish, so uh, it'll be fun. It'll be, uh, it'll be fun. Fantastic. Well, I hope that goes well. Yeah. That's good. Uh, let's see. Is it back to me, I think? Okay. What would you like to be remembered for? You know, the one thing I'd love to be remembered for is is the impact that I've had on others uh, here at PSMJ and obviously outside of business as well. I, you, you really, and that's why I say earlier that, you know, we don't focus on top line revenue and we really focus on the team. I mean, nothing makes me feel better than when I hear folks who worked here years ago and have gone off to do other things and point back to some of the things they learned here uh, as, as helping them so much in their career. And I really, really, really do enjoy, uh, as I've advanced up in the organization, seeing stuff happening that I had nothing to do with and, uh, seeing folks kind of take ownership and, and run with things. It, it's funny. Frank uh, always has this, uh, kind of tongue in cheek comment that he, he likes to be as lazy as he can and get other people to do all the work. And what he means by that is obviously build a team that's really motivated and empowered and and it is really gratifying, uh, but not just inside the organization, too. I mean, even the impact we've had outside when I'm in an event and, you know, I get a hug from somebody that, that I helped 10 years ago or something like that. Uh, that's what it's all about. It's it's certainly not about trying to be the biggest or the best or make all the money. But it's the impact you've had on the lives of those around you. Love that. Good answer. Yes. Great answer. Final question. If you could suddenly, instantly gain one skill or talent, what would you choose? You know, I'm always jealous of people who can snap their fingers. I, I just <laughs> can't even come close to doing it. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I can whistle. I can do things. I can do that thing where you make your tongue into like a little circle thing. But um, I, I could never snap my fingers. And, I, and when everybody says, oh, I could do it like that. And I'm like, but I, can't, I can't do the snap thing to make it. So that would, that would be a fun, that would be a fun thing to learn how to do. Or I don't even know if you learn. I think, is it one of those things you either can do it or you can't and that's it? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I, I almost phrased the question with the snap of a finger, what <laughs> skill or talent would you choose? And I wish I would have said that now. Yes, I feel like I'd be, I'd have so much more impact when I'm speaking and doing <laughs> so if I could just snap my finger when I'm trying to make a point, but we'll see. Oh. Well, Greg, thank you. This has been great. Um, we have learned you are a man of many talents and interests and abilities, and yet you're still in search of that elusive finger snap. So this is good stuff. <laughs> So for folks who want to get in touch with you um, or just to follow, you know, what PSMJ is up to, what are some of the best ways for them to do that? You know, one of the best ways to do it is to find us on social media, uh, largely Facebook and uh, LinkedIn, as where we're quite active with sharing some of our research. So uh, if you just search PSMJ resources uh, on either of those or just go to PSMJ.com and you'll find their handles there. Uh, or you could always email me, ghart, G-H-A-R-T 
at fpsmj.com. Uh, we often like to comment that if people don't quite, especially when you're on the phone and you say PSMJ, not sure it was a B or a P, uh, please send me jelly. That's the, that's the, <laughs> and maybe it doesn't stand for professional services management journal. Maybe it's just that. <laughs> uh, anyway, PSMJ.com is the place to go. Good stuff. Please send me jelly. I'll never forget that. There you now. go. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Greg Hart, president of Please Send Me Jelly Resources, PSMJ Resources. Um, so please watch for future episodes of our podcast. Um, we're always blessed with great guests. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until the next time we're together, keep on disrupting. Um, keep on changing things and forcing things forward. And don't forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile, encourage them. Simple yet powerful things we can all do to change the world. So God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products. <laughs>